presented by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghuman Avalon. A few things we're watching on Wednesday, January 18th. Scott Wong and Kyle Stewart from NBC News did the work on putting together a comprehensive list of where all the antagonizers who slowed Kevin McCarthy's extension to the speakership ended up after committee assignments were settled on Tuesday. A few of the notables. Representatives Andy Biggs, Dan Bishop, and Matt Gates kept their seats on the Judiciary Committee. Representative Lauren Boebert, who, like Biggs and Gates voted present on the final ballots, won a seat on the Oversight and Accountability Committee, in addition to keeping her seat on natural resources. Representative Michael Cloud won a spot on the coveted Appropriations Committee, and Representative Byron Donalds, who was nominated to run against McCarthy for Speaker and flipped to him on the 12th ballot, was awarded a seat on Financial Services as well as a spot on the House GOP Steering Committee, which doles out panel assignments. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is getting prodded to jump into the 2024 presidential primary field from an unexpected and distant camp, Michigan Republicans. As Politico colleague, Alex Eisenstadt reports this morning, last month, Byron Postumus, the Republican floor leader in the Michigan State House, flew to Florida and hand-delivered DeSantis a letter encouraging him to run for president. As Alex writes, while the letter doesn't explicitly endorse DeSantis over former President Donald Trump, it illustrates simmering discontent with the former president among Republicans following a series of elections that saw the party get bludgeoned at the ballot box. The 2024 race for president isn't the only jockeying occurring these days. Senate primaries are starting to come into shape. For more on that, here's Playbook Deputy Editor Zach Stanton and Editor Mike DeBonis. We're only in January 2023. We are some 22 months from the next uh, election, but we uh, are already seeing some uh, significant sort of movement in the, the 2024 uh, political landscape. Uh, in Ohio, where Senator Sherrod Brown is going to be uh, defending the seat in what is increasingly a solid Republican state, uh, Matt Dolan, the uh, surprisingly moderate uh, Republican businessman and owner of the Cleveland Guardians baseball team, uh, he's entering the race, according to NBC's Henry Gomez. Uh, Sunday, he reported Sunday. Uh, that's an interesting uh you know, development in uh, in this race. Uh, obviously, he will not be the last uh, Republican to enter this contest, but definitely interesting that someone is staking a claim to that to that lane uh, early on. And then we also have my own home state of Michigan. Uh, oh, where... how could we? How could we forget, Zach? How could we forget Michigan? Where uh, longtime incumbent uh, Debbie Stebenow has announced that she is not going to seek re-election in 2024, opening the seat up for the first time since the 2000 election when Senator Stebenow ran and defeated uh, incumbent Spence Abraham, and it is going to be something of a free-for-all until people start announcing, uh, in that you have a number of Democrats that are making calls around the state, trying to figure out if they want to run, if they should run. You know, names that have uh, been circulating among Democrats that I've talked to there include Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, uh, who is uh, obviously has a strong national security background and has won swing competitive districts several times now uh, would be a formidable fundraiser and 
a formidable general election candidate. Uh, it would be intriguing to see how uh, how she would fare in a competitive primary, though, uh, especially given that she hasn't represented Detroit proper, and uh, given that her profile, so much of it over the years, has been geared towards winning these sort of swing seat type voters who may have something of a different profile than the Democratic primary electorate. So I'm going to go, I want to go sort of uh, narrow on this uh, Michigan politics here, Zach, which is music to your ears. So Alyssa Slotkin has been, has run incredibly close races, has uh, spent tons and tons of money, has been on TV. Is her district, are, are people in the Detroit media market seeing her ads? Oh, yes. Yes. I know she's in Lansing, you know, she's got part in Lansing, but she's definitely people in Detroit have seen this. So even if people are... In, People are not in her district. They know who she is. There's no doubt about that, right? That's totally fair. Yes, they they do know who she is. You know, a big part of her district, uh, certainly more so in, in 2018 and 2020, was in Oakland County, which has become sort of a, a goldmine for Democrats. It's a very, very affluent county, uh, one of the largest counties in the state. It is one of the three counties, three primary counties in suburban or in Metro Detroit, excuse me, uh, and is not only very vote rich for Democrats, uh, it is a great fundraising base to have. Uh, and Alyssa Slotkin has spent heavily in that market, which is part of the Detroit media market. Um, she is a known quantity in, in that in that way. I'm just curious, who do you see that who has the potential to sort of outflank her, particularly, you know, from the left or as sort of the more sort of traditional Democratic, maybe even progressive candidate? Yeah, you know, one name I really have my eye on is State Senator Mallory McMorrow, uh, who sort of burst onto the national scene last year with uh, a now famous viral video that racked up millions of views and which she parlayed into millions of dollars raised as a state senator uh, in really just unheard of amounts of money that she was bringing in uh, and has not only made her something of a media darling, but has uh, caused her to get some really talented political consultants on board with her already, totally independent of whether or not she runs for Senate. Folks like Liz Smith advise her. And State Senator McMorrow uh, also represents a, a huge chunk of Oakland County. And now because of the nonpartisan redistricting in Michigan, her district uh, is now about, I would say, 60% Oakland County and 40% City of Detroit. Uh, so that could be really useful to her in that, you know, she already has this profile that's, you know, so prominent and there's a lot of love for her among progressives in the state and certainly among the sort of uh, suburban women voters that have proven uh, really important to the party's fortunes. If it is a competitive primary with several, you know, white women uh, seeking the Democratic nomination, it could prove really useful to have already had your name before uh, black voters in Detroit ahead of the 2024 Democratic primary. If it is, you know, a, a race that features yeah. folks like Alyssa Slotkin or or even Haley Stevens or Debbie Dingell or Jocelyn Benson, all of whom are other names that have been mentioned and all of whom are are white suburban women. Yeah, and it, it's I, I think it's important to say here, like Michigan, like really has a deep bench on the Democratic side. There are a yeah. number of very credible candidates who have, you know, proven themselves able to win races, tough, 
tough congressional races, tough statewide races. Um, now, on the other hand, the, the Republicans in Michigan are, are really in not great shape. Uh, they are not. And the, and the list of potential candidates to replace Debbie Stabenow there is it's not very long at this point. Am I wrong? It is not. Yeah, there have been sort of two two names that I've heard, um, and I think both uh, both are interesting names. Uh, one is is Peter Meyer, the now former congressman um, from the Grand Rapids area, who is of course the scion of the Meyer Store family, which you know those of us from the Midwest are shop at Meyer. Oh know, yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's a beloved local sort of superstore chain. Um, and Peter Meyer, of course, was ousted by a Trump-backed challenger in his primary. Uh, the district then flipped Democratic. Uh, but he, if he were able to make it through a primary, which is obviously a huge consideration, he would be a really interesting general election candidate and, and one that I think Democrats you know, could not afford to really sleep on. Uh, and the other name is the newly elected Congressman John James. You know, he ran for Senate against Debbie Stebenow in 2018, which was a good year for Democrats. But actually, he held uh, Senator Stebenow to her lowest percentage of the vote since she was first elected uh, in 2000. Uh, and then he only very narrowly lost to Gary Peters uh, in 2020. He has been seen as a rising star by Republicans. You know, he's extraordinarily telegenic. He's on Fox News quite frequently. You know, they they tapped him to even give one of the uh, nominating speeches for Kevin McCarthy on the floor in the speakership uh, drama, uh, which is, you know, sort of a a vote of confidence in him. Uh, And so I I think the question there, of course, is like, do they think that he would stand a, a good enough shot of picking up that seat that it would be worth potentially giving up? Uh, the Michigan 10th District, which is, you know, surprisingly tight. You know, he he only narrowly won election in, in a, a seat that many observers had expected to be far more Republican than it ultimately ended up being. And so if you take him out of the equation there, uh, it's not hard to imagine that seat maybe being a Democratic pickup. And so you can imagine Kevin McCarthy or other Republican powers in, in Washington maybe trying to encourage him quietly to continue just to serve in the House uh, and maybe hold on to that seat and keep the Republican majority. Similarly, I would say you can also imagine, I can imagine Hakeem Jeffries prevailing on Alyssa Slotkin to not run for Senate. Uh, Whether or not she listens to him, uh, I don't know, because I don't know that uh, uh, his message will be quite as compelling to her as uh, Kevin McCarthy's message would be to John James. Yeah, I, I think for John, you know, to, for me, I just put myself in John James's mind a bit. I mean, you've, you've, you know, you've, you ran three cycles in a row, 18, 20, 22, you lose twice, you finally win, you, you get sworn in as a member of Congress. Are you really going to just turn around and tilt at the windmill one more time? In a presidential year where, you know, it's going to be tough in Michigan uh, for, for a statewide Republican period, um, are you really going to give up the seat that you, you, you've you spent much of your adult life trying to get to take a shot uh, at a Senate seat? I just I don't I don't know if I see it. You know, people love to quote Tip O'Neill on all politics is local. <laughs> I, I, I all politics is personal. And like, I think that, you know these people have personal sort of decisions to make. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know, is John James going to up for a third Senate run that is going to be tough? I don't know. I don't know. 
Late day in DC today. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre will brief at 3 p.m. Vice President Kamala Harris has nothing on her public schedule. The House and the Senate are out this week. All right, for more news on what's breaking in DC right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Raghu Manavalan. Have a good Wednesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. The world's need for more reliable, affordable energy is intertwined with the goal of building a lower carbon future. Meeting energy demand and alleviating energy poverty worldwide with reliable, affordable energy while reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a challenge that the natural gas and oil sector is meeting head on. The solution is right here. 